Well, as Pastor said, we are in the last week of this series. We've been talking about Joseph. Uh, and so I thought, what would be better than to talk about trees? So I got a very real tree here. Not fake at all, okay? Uh, but I, I was thinking uh, a few years ago, I had a friend come uh, to my house, and he's looking around, and he said, hey, Samson, did you notice that one of your trees has a disease? Now, I'll be real with you. I didn't even know trees can get sick, okay? Uh, and so I walked over, looked it up, and sure enough, there was like, it was like dying from the inside out. And he said, hey, if you're not really careful, uh, it's going to spread to your other tree, so you need to chop it down. And I look at my other tree, and my other tree is like 10, 15 feet away. And I, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't really take it seriously, because I'm like, you know, when I'm asleep at night, I don't know if these trees are getting together and spreading diseases or whatever. I, I doubt that. And so I didn't take it very seriously. And then I started noticing that my neighbor's tree, which was a lot closer to my tree here, uh, started dying. And I said, okay, maybe I should cut it down. And so I, I went ahead, I cut down the tree, and then suddenly I was tree shopping. And I went to go look at trees. And how many of y'all know trees are expensive? They are expensive. And so I go talk to a, a guy about trees. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to spend that much on trees because, you know, like the last one had a disease. And what if this one gets a disease? And he said, hey, don't worry. Uh, our trees come with a warranty. Did y'all know trees come with warranties? I know you get apple care for your apple tree. Mine blown, right? <laughs> and so finally, look at the total price. And I'm like, listen, I'm not ready to invest in trees. That's not, that's not in the cards for us. And uh, I, as I was talking about this, and I was thinking through this, you know, the reality of it is all of us, all of us are born into families. And a lot of times, a, a metaphor that we commonly use to describe our family is our family tree, right? And so as we've been talking about the story of Joseph, uh, really we're talking about Joseph's family tree. And I don't want us to miss the fact that we all actually, if you think about it, all are part of the same family tree. We all started from the seed of Adam and Eve. And so if you, in a crazy way, if you think about it, we're actually kind of like cousins. See, some of y'all didn't know you had a cousin from India. It's true. And so as you look at that, though, there, there's also the reality, kind of paradoxically, that not only are we all part of the same tree, but in some ways, we would describe ourselves as having our own individual family trees. And all of our trees look a little bit different. Maybe you're a good leaf on a good branch of the family tree, but you got like that other family branch right over there that they got some crazies, Right. Uh, and, and maybe you're good, maybe everything is going great, but you got a couple of leaves on your branch that you're not sure how they're going to pan out. The reality is all of our family trees have problems in it. They all have issues. We all do. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we cannot pretend and close our eyes and pretend like there is no issues on Joseph's family tree. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to show us all the issues in Joseph's family tree. So as we're looking at the story, I want us to have an honest perspective on Joseph and his family and how the fact that his family tree, and I don't want to offend you, but his family tree is really the most important family tree in all of history. 
And his family tree and how it grows has implications and had implications on every single one of us in this room, on every family. So let's look at the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 48. And I want to give you a little bit of context before we start reading. So at this point, Jacob, Joseph's father, is old and about to die. And so somebody comes to Joseph and says, hey, your father is very ill. He's about to die. You should go visit him. So Joseph grabs his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he goes over to his father's house and he visits his dad on his deathbed. And this passage begins the, how, the story of how Jacob blessed his sons before he died. And so verse three starts off like this. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will make you a community of people, a, a whole forest full of trees, if you will. And I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now what Jacob is trying to remind Joseph of is that even though they're currently residing in Egypt as this is going on, that Egypt is not meant to be their home. That there is a land that is promised to them in the covenant that God had made with Jacob and his fathers before him, where they are actually supposed to reside in Canaan, which is known as the promised land. And so he's reminding Jacob of the covenant and the promised land attached to that covenant. Verse five, now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to, before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Now I want you to notice what's about to happen. He says, Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now what Jacob is actually doing is he's actually beginning a formal adoption of Joseph's two sons as his sons. Jacob is adopting Manasseh and Ephraim as his sons. And you may think, well, what's, what's the big deal about this? Well, in Jacob's day, they practiced this thing called uh, the primogenitor. And the process or the, the practice of primogenitor, and that's a $5 worth, so let me break it down. It worked like this, that it meant that your firstborn son was the recipient of all, sometimes all, sometimes a most of, or sometimes a double portion of whatever the shares or gifts that you give out inheritance to your children. So if we were put in modern day terms, let's say you're about to die and you have a million dollars that you want to leave as inheritance to your kids. And let's say you have four kids. And according to primogenitor, you wouldn't divide that up into four portions, even though you have four kids. You'd actually divide it by five. And you would take the first two portions, so 200,000 plus 200, so 400,000, and you'd give that to your eldest son. And the other three kids would get 200,000 each. They would get a single share. Now, if you're the older, you'll be like, man, that's a great deal. Why don't we still do that, right? But this is how they blessed the firstborn son. Now, what Jacob is doing is he is wanting to give the blessing of the firstborn to Joseph, even though Joseph is legally not his firstborn son. Joseph is a younger one. And so Jacob figures out a loophole in the system. And how many know Jacob is good at figuring out loopholes? Okay, he figures out a loophole. So what he does is he adopts Joseph's two sons as his own sons. So they each get a portion, meaning Joseph gets a double portion. 
So that is what Jacob is doing here. Verse 10. Now Israel's eyes, Israel's another name for Jacob. Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed him and embraced him. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Now think about that for a second. For 22 years, Jacob believed because of a lie that Joseph, his son, was dead, killed by wild animals. And for 22 years, that's what he believed. And he thought he would never see his son again. And then miraculously, God returns his son to him 22 years later. And here he is not just looking at his sons, but looking at his grandsons. Verse 12, Joseph removed them from Israel's knees, bowed down his face to the ground, and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, I know the scene can kind of sound confusing, so I actually brought a picture of the actual situation. So here's the picture. And I pulled it right off their Instagram. So it's legit. So there, there is Jacob, and there is Joseph, and there are the two sons, Manasseh, uh, the rightful heir, the rightful firstborn, and then Ephraim uh, receiving the right hand uh, right there. And you might think, hey, what's the big deal about this right hand? What, what does that even matter? Well, in their day, the right hand represented dominance. So it meant that the greater blessing was on the right hand. And Jacob is choosing, instead of placing it on the firstborn, which is the rightful heir to that greater blessing, he is choosing to place it on Ephraim, the lesser, the younger. Now, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took a hold of the father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. But Joseph, but Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Now, Joseph is assuming, you know what? Jacob is blind. He's almost, he's about to die. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's clearly making a mistake. This is an accident. He doesn't know what he's doing. Verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he. And his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And some 3,500 plus years later, the Jewish people, Jewish fathers still pray that blessing over Jewish children. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So what is happening in this picture? And that's really what we're talking about. Because this scene is somewhat obscure. 
You might read over this passage over and over again. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense or you wouldn't even know why it matters, right? There's Jacob and there's Joseph with his sweet Rambo band thing going on his head. There's Manasseh and and Ephraim, you know, like I'll be honest with you, Ephraim doesn't look too bright. I wouldn't have put my right hand on him, but that's what Jacob is doing. And you might think, what is the significance because Pastor Sanders said there's implications about this family to all families. What is the implications of this? And I want to tell you, they are great. They are so great. And we're going to, as we unpack this text together, you're going to see this is actually one of those beautiful illustrations uh, in all of Scripture, one of those beautiful passages that you can read. So if you're taking notes, I want you to follow along. Number one is this. Fruitfulness comes on the other side of forgetfulness. Fruitfulness comes on the other side of forgetfulness. So when we look back at Joseph's life, if you remember, Joseph was released from prison uh, by the Pharaoh, and he was elevated immediately uh, to be a prince in Egypt. He was second only to the Pharaoh. He was incredibly powerful. And then he was given a wife, and the Bible says that he had two sons. The first son that he had, his firstborn, he named him Manasseh. And Manasseh means to forget. He said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. But if you remember what Pastor Rodney preached on last week, you will remember that Joseph didn't merely forget. In his forgetfulness was forgiveness. That he chose in that season, he chose to forgive the harms done to him by his brothers, the ills perpetrated by his brothers, he chose to forget and to forgive. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of us here, including me, sometimes it's easy for us to actually to forget, but not really forgive. That's how we end up where we're kind of mad at someone, but we can't remember why. I remember uh, not too long ago, my wife, she was getting real short with me one day and she's in the room, so I gotta be careful what I'm about to say. And I was just trying to be, you know, like to figure out what's going on. So I pulled her aside. I said, hey, babe, like, did I do something wrong? Is, is something wrong here? And she said, you know, I don't know why, but I am mad at you. <laughs> How many of you have ever been there? Right? Because we are not necessarily good at forgiving, right? Our emotions sometimes last a lot longer than our memories. But Joseph chose not just to forget, but to forgive. And then God blesses Joseph with another son, and he names that one Ephraim. Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is actually, uh, if you look at that first part of his name, Ephra, that means to be fruitful. To be fruitful. And Aim, which is the Ephraim, the last part, is actually just a suffix in the Hebrew. It's not even a whole word. And it simply means to double whatever came before it. So what Joseph is saying is that God has doubled my fruitfulness. God has made me fruitful twice over. In fact, he literally says these words. He says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He has doubly blessed me. Fruitfulness, Joseph knew, came on the other side of forgetfulness. Several years ago, I had the privilege of doing a wedding 
which ended up being my most favorite wedding that I've ever done. If you're in this room and I did your wedding, I'm sorry, this one was it. <laughs> it was this beautiful couple. They were older and uh, they had been previously married and both of them had lost their respective spouses to cancer. And here they were, now they met each other, they loved each other and they're getting married. Their name was Jeannie and Steve. And I didn't know Steve's story during that time as well. But I knew Jeannie's. I'd been there with Jeannie when she went through her story. See, Jeannie uh, had been previously married uh, to uh, a gentleman who was also confusingly named Steve. And so Jeannie and Steve came to North Church. Uh, actually, Steve came to North Church for the very first and last time uh, on a candlelight service here at North Church. And he got saved. And some two months later, he died. And I remember seeing Jeannie go through that and how much pain she was under and going through. But you know what I loved about Jeannie? She just kept coming back to church. And she would eventually start serving and she would serve every week. She would be here. And she knew she had to get healing, so she started going to counseling. And so she would go to counseling on a regular basis. And eventually she got so far uh, in, in this process of healing and, 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 and figuring out ways to unwind and untangle from that trauma she experienced that she realized she had to help other people. She actually started a North group called the Grief Share Group in this church to help other people heal from similar traumas. And so she was helping people. And while she was on that part of her journey, she met the new Steve. And here we are now. I'm at the altar with them. They're getting married. And I was doing the wedding, and I, and I got to the part where you do the vows. You know, for better, for worse, sickness and health, death to his part. And I, had, I just stopped before I got to the vows, and I said, you know, I have to be honest here. I, this is so weird for me. <laughs> this is weird because every time I do the vows with a couple, I know, I know they have no idea what they're about to say. They have no idea the weight of the promise they're about to make to each other. I know that because I was there too and I made that promise too. We are all just signing a blank check to an account with no money in it. We have no idea what we're promising, but we're talking real big. But when I look at you two, I said this to Steve and Jeannie, I said, when I look at you two, this is so strange because the vows you're about to make, you know exactly what those words mean. You know exactly what it means for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And yet here you are still at the altar, ready to risk it all again, knowing full well what those words mean, ready to love again. That's what fruitfulness looks like on the other side of forgetfulness. You know, my desire, my heart for you as a pastor is that you be fruitful. That's God's desire for you. No matter what brokenness you've been through, no matter what trauma you've experienced, that you get up and you move forward. Whether that's post-divorce and losing someone that, that you love, you eternally gave your love to, and now that's broken, that's gone, that you get up and you move forward, whatever that looks like, that you choose to be fruitful on the other side of that. Or after losing that job 
and you seem like your career is just now over, that you figure out a way to get up and to keep moving forward and keep continuing to be fruitful. Or maybe that relationship that broke and fell apart and someone hurt you deeply and you figure out a way to keep moving forward and figure out how to move towards reconciliation. That's what it looks like to be fruitful. Joseph knew and Jacob had learned that fruitfulness came on the other side of forgetfulness. Here's number two. Number two is this providence is greater than performance. Providence is greater than performance. See, Joseph's life had become a lesson for Jacob. Just like it's been a lesson for us. Like as we've been studying Joseph's life the last month, think, think about this. Jacob had 17 years now with his son after he's recovered to him. 17 years to look at Joseph's life and see this incredible life and learn from it. Because Jacob's life was also very difficult. If you remember Jacob's story, you understand Jacob did not have it easy. In fact, Jacob, right out of the womb, came wrestling with his older brother. He came out of the womb holding the heel of his brother. He came in second. And that day, they named him Jacob, which meant cheater. I just want you to think about this. What is the psychological implications that it would have on a child to be called cheater from your birth? That's what Jacob was tagged with. And he would go on to fulfill that self-fulfilling prophecy because he would later in his life cheat his brother and cheat his father of the blessing. And now his life is threatened. He runs away. Here he is, a guy that has to fight tooth and nail for every little bit that he can get. He goes to an evil man named Laban and he has worked 14 years. He's tricked by him for the girl that he loved and he somehow escapes there. And then he wrestles with God thinking he has to fight tooth and nail for everything. And then you start seeing some changes in Jacob's life, but it doesn't mean anything because his family is still messed up. Because if you keep reading the rest of Jacob's story, you see there's all sorts of infighting. His two wives hate each other. They're constantly at each other's throats. His sons hate each other, constantly at each other's throats. One of their sons, his favorite one, is sold off into slavery by the older sons. And then... It's like the story doesn't even get better because then you see rape, incest, abuse. You see all sorts of problems in this family tree. And Jacob had to work hard over and over and over for every little inch that he gained in life. We've all met somebody that has had a life like that. And you know, at the end of that person's life, they're usually cynical and worn down and angry. But look at Jacob. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. When Jacob looked at Joseph's life and he started evaluating his life, he realized, you know what? It hasn't been me. It hasn't been me clawing my way up and getting myself inch by inch to a place that I can be in successful. He says, no, when I look back at my life, you know what it's been? That God has been my shepherd. That God's providence has brought me along this whole time. I thought it was me, it was him. 
Jacob has this realization. You know, God as a shepherd, that image, this is the first time you see it in the Bible, in Genesis. Now, Jacob's great, 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 great grandson would write a song about it and be famous, but Jacob is the one who coined it. God is my shepherd. So if you're here in this room and you're like, man, I got to work for everything. I got to work harder so I can make enough. I got to, you know, find somebody so I can have the right person. I could do all this stuff. And let me tell you something. Let me free you for a second. You are never going to be enough because you were never meant to be enough because God is enough. And he is the shepherd of our life. And it's his providential hand that guides us along. And every good thing comes from the father of lights from above. He is the giver of it. You may think you've pulled yourself up, but it's been him lifting you up the whole time. So Jacob realizes and he blesses because of it. Here's the last one. That God can redeem anyone. This blessing shows that God can redeem anyone, including me and my family tree. When you look at this story, every other time, every other time that you see God favoring the younger son at the cost of the older son, that has not played out well in the book of Genesis in this family tree. Because if you trace it all the way back to the first, first man, Adam and Eve, their first kids, Cain and Abel, God favors Abel. So what does Cain do? Kills him. And then you go a little bit further down and then you see Isaac and Ishmael. God favors Isaac. So Ishmael is now competing against him and in, and in contrast to him. And so Ishmael is actually kicked out of the family to protect Isaac. And then you go a little further down and you see Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is favored as the younger and Esau tries to kill him. And then you go a little further down to Joseph and his older brothers. Joseph is favored. So his older brothers sell him out. It has never played out well in this family to bless the younger at the cost of the older. Yet here is Jacob, and we don't know a ton about Ephraim and Manasseh and what their relationship was like, but you can go back and look at what's called rabbinic tradition, basically what the rabbis used to teach about this, this family. And the rabbis used to teach that Ephraim and Manasseh was the first brotherly relationship in this family line where there was no rivalry, there was no conflict, that these two brothers even though the younger was favored above the older, these two brothers got along and they loved each other. And I have to be real with you. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know how that played out. But I do know this, that even if Ephraim and Manasseh got along great, when you follow the tree down the line, that didn't play out in this family because there was all sorts of infighting there was all sorts of infighting in this family. And this family tree grew with all the unhealth 
You see repeated over and over, generation after generation after generation, there is brokenness. In fact, so much so that the prophet Isaiah prophesies of a day, a future moment, when this family will finally get it right. There won't be any infighting. Isaiah 11 says this, verse 13. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Now, I want you to understand this. Ephraim, just like Jacob had blessed him to be, had become such a dominant tribe in Israel that a lot of times in the Bible, instead of using the word Israel to describe the people of Israel, the Bible will substitute the word Ephraim because they were such a chief among all the tribes. Ephraim truly had been blessed. But they were fighting and jealous towards Judah. And Judah was the dominant tribe of the southern kingdom. And so they, a lot of times the southern kingdom was just referred to as Judah. And then it says, Ephraim, one day, Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah or Judah hostile towards Ephraim. There will come a day when these guys stop fighting with each other. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together, they will plunder the people of the east. They'll stop fighting each other and still start fighting with and for each other. Isaiah prophesies one day, but when? So you have to go a little further up in that same prophecy. Verse one says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is a prophecy about who? Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy prophesying a day when a healer would come and fix this family tree, would get it all right. And maybe Jacob was there putting his hands on these two boys and looking at the devastation they came before and saying, these guys, they're the hope. They're going to figure it out. They're going to solve all the problems that we've had in our family. And don't we do that to our kids sometimes? Like, hey, you know, I'm going to put you in the best preschool. I'm going to put you in the best school. I'm going to make sure you have the right friends, that you have all the right student groups and everything around you so you can succeed because we don't want to see the same brokenness repeated in you. Does it play out that way? No. Because as much as hope that we can place on our kids, they are not the source of our hope. Isaiah tells us there's only one. There's only one, the branch of Jesse, Jesus. Only Jesus can heal me, fix me, and my family tree. Only he can make it right. Well, then you might say, well, Pastor James, we've been talking about this whole Jacob blessing his grandson's thing and Ephraim and Manasseh. If it it doesn't all work out, then what is the point of even saying this thing matters? Well, here's why. See, what Jacob did there of blessing the younger at the cost of the older is actually what God the Father did 2,000 years ago. As Jesus hung on a cross... God removed his right hand of blessing from the firstborn, the only begotten, the rightful heir, the king. And he places it on us, the undeserving, the unfit, the sinful. And he chooses to bless us at the cost of the firstborn. 
I wonder, I'm just imagining now, I wonder if in heaven there were like angels around God the Father at this point. I said, God the Father, no, 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 you made a mistake. That's not right. He's the firstborn. He's the deserving one. Don't take your right hand of blessing off of him while he's on the cross. But God the Father said, I know. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Because I love hope so much. And I love Carol. I love Stacy. I love them so much that I'm willing to bless them at a cost. The cost of my firstborn. That's the blessing of Manasseh and Ephraim. That God chose to bless us at the cost of his only begotten son. I want to encourage you. Because so often we think that we can fix all the issues, all the generational curses, all the problems, all the weights, that we can somehow solve these problems. And the reality is, we can't. But the beauty is, he can. He can. And he can make it right. Because he can make us right. You know, uh, when I was in seminary, I took a class. It was a counseling class. And uh, we did this thing called a genogram. How many, have y'all ever heard of a genogram? It's like a family tree. Yeah, it's like a family tree that you draw, but it's a little bit more than that. It's a little more involved. Uh, so you draw the family tree, and then you have to write out next to individuals what struggles or uh, psychological or physiological, whatever issues that they had, and you have to look at And what you're looking for is cycles repeated in what's called family systems, in the system of your family. And a lot of times that helps people see things that they've never seen before, why they do certain things, because it's actually a repetition of a cycle before, a reiteration. And so I had to do this as part of my class, and as I was filling this out, I noticed on my dad's side of the family, the cycle being repeated, alcoholism. And so far, all day I've been saying how it's been broken with me, but when I look at my dad, I'm actually like, no, it's actually broken with him. Because when I was a young person, I've told my story here a dozen times in North Church. I was a young person, eight years old, I came to find Jesus. I got saved through a series of events. My dad got saved. And he made the very powerful decision to follow Jesus. And it changed our family tree. It broke the cycles. It broke the generational curses. Whatever you want to call it, things started changing. And I remember I was talking to my dad this week about my grandmother, and our family had always been a part of this very orthodox Christian tradition. It was a lot of religiosity, but there's not a lot of relationship. And so following Jesus now meant that my dad would be leaving that tradition and following Jesus. And so he calls my grandmother thinking, that she's going to be incredibly disappointed because she was a very faithful woman of that church and she would pray regularly and all of that. And he was thinking, well, I don't know if my mom's going to disown me or what's going to happen. 
once I tell her this. So he calls her from America all the way to India. She picks up the phone. He tells her, we got saved, and this next week we're going to get baptized. We follow Jesus. Not expecting, know what my grandmother was going to say. But on the other line from India, she says, we were saved years ago. We got baptized five years ago, and we've been praying for you ever since. And she said, we didn't tell you because you're kind of crazy, and we didn't know how you'd react. (laughs) Whatever it is, whatever that cycle looks like for you, whatever that brokenness looks like for you. Let me tell you, God can break it. That he can be your firm foundation. The rock on which you stand. That you can follow him. I want to lead you in a prayer if you're in this room and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to put him first in my life. I want to build my life and my family's life on that firm foundation. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. You can bow your heads if you want. But I just want you to repeat, if everyone could repeat this prayer uh, with me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I follow you. Me and my family, we follow you. Help me to live for you. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you can stand right now. Immediately after this experience, we have folks getting baptized. And you may notice I didn't ask you to raise hands. Uh, and that's because Pastor Rodney always says this. He says there's no biblical model of Jesus going around asking people to raise their hands if they got saved. Never did it. The biblical model in the New Testament is if you accept Jesus and if you follow him, you get water baptized. So I'm not going to beg or ask you. I'm just going to tell you, if you follow him and you have not been biblically baptized, today we have water. You can get baptized. So door number two, right over there, there's a person right over there on the other side of that door. Walk over there. As I'm talking, go get baptized. Okay? I'm going to invite our prayer team to the front. They'll be on either side of the stage. Maybe you're here and you just need someone to pray with you. Maybe you just need someone to hear you out. That's what they're here for. Maybe you want to pray for parts of your family. You could do that here. Let me encourage you to come forward. You can come forward now.